Welcome back to Start Kyle Orton. Folks, we're happy to have you here this week. The, the champion of the Bad Bears Tournament, the Cade McNown, Curtis Enos Cap of Shame Tournament has been crowned, but we're still continuing to try to give you timeless content uh, that you can revisit once we get closer to the NFL season, if you would like. Uh, and this week, Kyle, we're bringing a very special episode. It's all about our boy Justin Fields, uh, and this is going to be a lot of you talking and me <laughs> murmuring occasionally. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to... Uh, first of all, Eric is not with us tonight because he, as we have warned you all, he has the youngest child of all of us, and he will admittedly say he has not kept the most up-to-date with the current state of the NFL as others. So when, when there are games and stuff to react to, he will rejoin us. He just didn't feel like he'd have a lot to contribute to this conversation. So, um, But I wanted to do a Justin Fields episode um, because I think there, are, there have just been so many things said about Justin Fields and it will continue to be said about Justin Fields. And I think it's good to take like a to try to take as accurate of of a picture of what this guy has done in his first two years, what he has dealt with, um, and to state why I mean, we are optimistic about him. And obviously, the main reason we are optimistic about him is because we are Bears fans. But we try not to be blind homers. That that is not uh, hopefully what you ever associate this podcast with. Um, so what I have tried to do is I, I I try to always challenge my assumptions with data that I can find, um, and so that's always rewarding when I when I go looking to disprove myself and instead prove my own argument. Um, and so I did a lot of research on Justin Fields for this episode. Wanted to go through it with you guys, um, and yeah, I think that's I mean that's that's that. Should we just dive in? Like why we want to talk about our quarterback. You, you can start wherever you want to start. I don't know if you want to do a little blurb since we never put it in podcast form or out there how we felt about Justin as a prospect or so, anything. Or Yeah, so, I mean, we were, yeah, I think that's a good place to start because we were both super high on Justin Fields as a prospect coming out of college. We thought him falling behind Zach Wilson and Trey Lance was ridiculous. I know you had him over Trevor Lawrence. I, I did not, I'll be honest, I still do not if, if I had. Could have Trevor Lawrence over Justin. I do think I probably would. Um, but I, Justin was my QB2 that year. I was so ecstatic when the Bears got him. Um, and I think if you, on draft night, if you had told me what Justin Fields' numbers were going to look like those first two years, I would not think that there was any possible way that entering year three, I would be as optimistic about him as I am. And so I think that's why it is important to really contextualize this guy's struggles because he is, uh, I wouldn't say he's the most hot take inspiring quarterback in Bears history. God knows Jay was the QB that launched a thousand hot takes just no matter what he did. Um, but there are so many hot takes about Justin. There are so much stuff, there's so much stuff spewed without context. Um, there, there is so much stuff not put in what I would consider to be an important, relevant, historical context. Um, because that's one thing that, that when we talked about the spreadsheet that I keep for the draft, you know, I find a lot of comfort in, in the history. I try to look for guys who are similar, who are different, what marked the dudes who went on to succeed, what marked the dudes who didn't. Um, and so I found a lot of stuff about Justin. So, um... 
Travis, what is that clicking noise? What what is clicking? Uh, your mom. <laughs> your mom. Your mom is okay, clicking. My mom is clicking. All right, hold on. Let me let me mute it over here. You get you get into it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was it was just like a ticking time bomb. Like, oh shit, is this about to explode? So, so the first thing I think with Justin Fields and the thing that you cannot. And I dismiss immediately as as a person arguing in bad faith anyone who does not acknowledge the supporting cast problem that he had last year especially. Um, And I think even the people who do acknowledge it, a lot of them have already made up their mind about him, really try to be dismissive of it. You will see some of them say, yes, his supporting cast was bad, but we've seen guys succeed with bad supporting casts before. Um. And that is true to an extent. We have obviously seen other quarterbacks succeed in bad situations before. I would argue that we have never seen a quarterback succeed in a situation like Justin Fields last year. Um, And I would say that the ones that do succeed did not succeed while they were in, while they had that supporting cast. They were guys who later succeeded and people then retroactively acted like they had it when they didn't. Um, Tom Brady is a guy that gets brought up a lot because early on in his New England years, he did not have a ton of wide receiver talent, although I would tell you that Troy Branch and the guys that Tom Brady had uh, in 2002-2003 look like Randy Moss and Jerry Rice compared to guys like Equinemius, say, Brown, and the like. But I think it's important to remember, people remember Tom Brady as succeeding early in his career, and he absolutely did. Obviously, he won Super Bowls. He won a lot of games. Um, And it was a different era statistically. But you have to realize, Tom Brady did not break seven yards per pass attempt until his fourth year as a starter. He did not pass for 4,000 yards until his fifth year as a starter. The... Tom Brady that we all mostly remember now at this point, statistically, is the Tom Brady that existed after Randy Moss arrived. His he had, his career high in touchdowns before Randy Moss arrived was 28. And then Randy Moss arrived and it was 50. And then after that, yes, he averaged 30, 40 touchdowns a year. But it's important to remember that uh, most of these guys that you remember as succeeding despite bad supporting casts, a lot of times they didn't have great statistics when they were succeeding. They had great teams. We have not seen a guy in Justin Fields' situation have a bad supporting cast have a bad defense, have all of this, and thrive statistically. So, Travis, I'm going to give you a chance to add anything you want before I actually break into the data for when I back up why I say this was a truly bad historical cast. Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely fun to remember a time when uh, everybody was just like, wow, man, the this whole Patriots thing is entirely Bill Belichick, uh, nothing to do with Tom Brady. Uh, that time existed. Oh, yeah, he was a system. For a long time. He was a system QB. He was a for, system quarterback. Oh, yeah. For years. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, you're going to get into it here with these numbers, and I've seen a little preview of what you've got, and it really is, uh, it really is damning. But I think what's important is just – the eye test, having to watch this all of last year, even, I mean, I guess the best thing I could say is if everybody wants to know what we were thinking about before last season, the only thing we could talk about is the way they have this roster set up. They are either trying to get Justin killed so they can draft their own guy, or 
they're thinking, if Justin can show any kind of success with this sub-NFL roster, then they know he's their guy and they're going to move forward with him. Because it seemed like an act of active sabotage. Yeah, I mean, that was this, is, that, this was something we talked about a little bit with... When we were talking about Anthony Richardson, and it was not a knock on Anthony Richardson, but we were talking about the the soft eyes that the NFL gives to a prospect sometimes versus once you are in the league and how quickly those expectations change. I mean, it was astonishing to me how many media the, – the media narrative before the start of last year's regular season, when people were saying Justin Fields is being set up to fair – to fail. Nobody could succeed with this supporting cast. This is ridiculous. This is atrocious. This is gross negligence, etc. And then it took like two weeks. It was two weeks before the media was like, is Justin Fields a bust? What the fuck is wrong with him? Why does he look so bad? And I was like, you were the guy saying this. And it's like, it's so funny, but with Anthony Richardson, people will make People will make excuses for a prospect. They will point out that Florida was very bad, etc. People will say that Kentucky, when they're talking about Will Levis, Kentucky was very bad. But in the NFL, it kind of becomes like, yeah, son, there's just no time for excuses. In the NFL, a quarterback gets it done. He's a leader of men, and he cares not for who is around him. If he's the only man on the field, he should make... Brett Favre would have won a Super Bowl if he was the only man on the Packers roster. There is no time for excuses in the National Football League. So it was really frustrating to me, first of all, how quickly the turnaround was. And I won't say that like the first four games, especially last year, Justin was was making a bad situation worse. He truly was. He was he was hesitant, he was not making the right reads, he was really not playing very good football. At the same time, nobody was giving him a break in terms of how Every single mistake is magnified when there is literally no one else on your roster who will make a play if you don't make a play. Um, but yeah, so historically, the the reason I wanted to say how bad Justin's supporting cast was, I went through and I looked at every quarterback, rookie quarterback, or every second year quarterback since 2009. I went all the way back to, to when Joe Flacco and Matt Ryan were introducing... There, we're entering their second years because the, the things I wanted to point out was just how uniquely fucked Justin Fields was in every way. So, what are the things that we all agree are bad for a developing quarterback? Travis, if you were to name like the five things that you think most often mess up bad, mess up young quarterbacks, what what would you say are those five things? Uh, number one would be bad offensive line play for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Poor car the car the uh the older car definitely comes to mind. Uh number 2 would be uh rapid fire offensive coordinator changes. Yep, yep, coaching changes absolutely. Uh let's see. Number 3 uh which honestly I I mean and you're going to get into this but I didn't really think about it before Justin because I I've always thought of young quarterbacks as having young wide receivers but when you have a devastatingly bad wide receiver core, that certainly doesn't help. No. Uh, and then I would also say, yeah, the only other things I would add to this. So, yeah, coaching changes, always considered bad. Poor receiving targets. And actually, more, more and more studies show that receiving talent tends to have an impact on a quarterback's development even more than offensive line talent. Um, we have seen, for example, like one of the people that really gets thrown in Justin Fields' face a lot is when you talk about how bad Justin Fields' offensive line is, people say, well, yeah, well, Joe Burrow has a bad offensive line. What the hell was that? Um, no, 
Justin Fields has a bad offensive line. Well, so does Joe Burrow. Okay, yes, but Joe Burrow also has three fantastic wide receivers. We have seen guys succeed in the NFL with one or the other. We have not seen anybody in recent memory succeed without either. So the other things I was going to say besides receiving talent, offensive line talent, coaching change, um, lack of investment is the other thing that we have seen really screw young quarterbacks over. Their team doesn't draft guys to help them. Their team doesn't sign guys to help them. Um, I, I, I will always think of Tim Couch being just withering on the vine. I mean, the Browns had multiple first rounders, multiple multiple second rounders their first couple drafts after they came back as a franchise. And still, I think it wasn't until like year three or four of his career when they drafted an offensive player before round three to help this poor guy out. And it was too late by then. We're going to have to do a Tim Couch episode at some point, man. We will always (laughs) want justice for Tim Couch. Anyways, so what I did was I I went back to 2009, and I I, I think I found 50 or so, 51 rookie quarterbacks in this time uh, that were entering, or 50 second-year quarterbacks, I should say, entered their second year as their team's presumptive charger, or starter. And what I looked at in their second year was I looked, I used a lot of pro football focus data. I looked at what was the average receiving grade and i used receiving grade because yes i know people have issues with pro football focus grades and i do too um but pro football focus receiving grade tries to be a qb independent metric it it it, it grades did the wide receiver get open and gives him a credit gives him credit if he does even if the ball doesn't come his way it grades did the wide receiver make the catch if he was targeted was the ball catchable etc so it really tries to separate QB play, wide receiver play from QB play. Um, so what I looked at was who were the top five targets for all five for all fifty one of these quarterbacks in their second year. What was the average receiving grade for those five guys? And the other thing I, I looked at was true pass set grades. I think we've talked about true pass set grades a little bit when we were talking about offensive tackle prospects. But just in case anyone didn't remember, true pass set grade is. What does your pass blocking grade look like in a straight drop back pass situation lasting two to four seconds? So not screens, not hidden by play action, not when this team, when it was third and nine and this team had to pass and the defense knew they had to pass, what kind of blocking did these quarterbacks receive? So I went for that. I averaged the true pass set grade of the top or of any offensive lineman or of the top five offensive linemen in terms of snaps for those teams. The other thing I looked at is in year two of this of these quarterbacks' careers, how many first round picks did their team spend on offense? How many second round picks did their team spend on offense? And then the last thing, I, or the last two things I looked at was how many double. I looked at free agent starters. You would say were at, did they attempt to add on offense entering the quarterback second year? And so I defined a, a starter contract as either a contract in the 10 plus million dollar range or a contract for at least three years given out to an offensive player um and then finally last last but not least was a coaching change did this simply put did this player's head coach change entering year two so would you believe that out of these 51 quarterbacks there was only one only one guy who was in the bottom five out of these 51 quarterbacks in terms of average receiving grade for his top five targets, 
bottom five in terms of true pass set pass protection from his top five offensive linemen whose team did not spend a first round pick on offense to help them out whose team did not spend a second round pick on offense to help him out and whose team did not sign any viable starters on offense entering year two and who also underwent a coaching change out of 51 quarterbacks only one guy one guy to whom all of these things applied he did not get any help from his receivers he did not get any help from his pass blockers he did not get any help in the draft in the in the rounds that matter and the rounds where you expect to add year one starters he did not get help in free agency in terms of impactful money spent on impactful players and he had to learn a whole new playbook on top of all of that so when we tell you justin fields was in an awful situation we are not just saying he was bad where he was in a bad situation people remember uh people remember josh allen having a bad second year quarterback situation and it's true he did statistically in all the ways i talked about it still wasn't as bad as what justin dealt with this year he did not have to deal with a coaching change and also people forget this i guess josh allen still wasn't very good in year two like when people say yeah he over we saw josh allen overcome a bad situation he did but not until year three when the situation improved so uh yeah i mean that's i think it's important to to put that into historical context we are not making excuses for justin fields we are making explanations i am not saying that if all of these things were not problems justin fields would have been a superstar would have been patrick mahomes i am literally just saying you cannot argue with a straight face you cannot argue with any kind of integrity in my opinion that we have seen what justin fields can truly be because that was a historically poor situation that he was put in on purpose and we have never we have never seen anyone overcome anything similar in the nfl we just haven't yeah, and this isn't something where we're saying, uh, okay, so he was surrounded by this historically awful cast uh, in this historically awful situation. So that means, you know, he's good. He's obviously much better than he showed this year, which was acceptable offensively. The Bears' offense certainly wasn't the issue uh, as far as winning games there in the middle of the season. What we're saying is not he's definitely going to be amazing, although, you know, my personal opinion is he's going to have a good year. What we're saying is... Uh, you just can't count him out based on last season. And we knew this before the year, and for some reason, it's just like people forgot every, yeah, every game as the year went on. Well, and I mean, and the NFL media cycle is relentless, and it is ridiculous. And I mean, we see this every year where people react to training camp updates, and people react to preseason statistics like they matter. And then the first real game starts, and we all go, ha ha ha, wasn't that so silly? Training camp doesn't matter. Preseason doesn't matter. Ha ha ha, never gonna fall for that again. And then next July, we're so starved for content, we all do it again. And so the the narratives switch because the, the content cycle must churn. And so it was the same thing with, um, with Justin Fields, the narrative all offseason was, God, this kid doesn't have a chance. He's so screwed. And then the games start. And it's like, okay, well, that was an offseason narrative. So we need you to to put up or shut up now. So, and it was just, that was just so unfair. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is the first year that we think we will be able to accurately judge who Justin Fields is. And I mean, we have to acknowledge the possibility that we might be disappointed with the answer we get. And that's why I think I want to, the next thing I want to move on to is he does have 
some weaknesses that I do think are somewhat him, although all of them also, again, are impossible to extricate from how bad his circumstances are. So did you have anything else to add about the supporting cast side of the argument before I start to move into, and we'll return to the supporting cast here in a minute when I talk about some things, but before I move into what what Justin doesn't do well at this point, what are the things he needs to improve the most? No, I just think, uh, to your point, like, over the years of watching the NFL, I think the thing that I've been hardened the most on, the thing I've learned the most, is to cut out uh, so much noise that comes with it. Like, even right now, uh, you know, we were talking right after the draft, like, we don't really want to hear about fifth-round picks or later. We don't really want to talk about them. They don't really exist until they actually do something, and then they can, you know, exist at least for a week. Um, and that's just like, you know, I've heard so much about Travis Bell this offseason already, too. And you'll notice that we haven't mentioned his name on this podcast one time uh, because we were just jaded at this point. You know, like people get bored. They have to have something to write about. They have to have something to talk about. And so even if they understand that a guy is a late round pick or in the case of Justin Fields, even if they understand that his entire season is probably compromised because the Bears had the worst roster in the NFL last year around their quarterback, they they still got to write something week one. They still got to write something week two, and they have yeah. to fill that day after day, and then the narrative slowly changes to, does Justin Fields suck? Is he just a running back? Even though they had filled two months before the season with, God, this Bears roster is historically awful. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, and like, like, I mean, Dan Wiederer, is a guy who has, I think, earned his reputation on the Bears beat as being just kind of relentlessly negative, overwhelmingly negative. I, I do think that man is just ridiculous, even by the standard of, of, of what honestly has earned Chicago sports cynicism. I think we have shown some jadedness throughout this podcast. Um, but yeah, Dan Weeder really frustrating with how negatively he chooses to take every single thing. But at the same time... I do sympathize with, I did sympathize with him a little bit at one point because it's like, it's true that we can all take a look at the big picture and see why the Bears weren't good in 2022 and why Justin Fields was struggling with the supporting cast. At the same time, if you are a person who has to write about this team daily, weekly, for a living, you can't just keep writing it off with none of this matters. Like we as fans can, you know, like they have to talk about it. And, and so Unfortunately, the need for the content, the, the, the need to feed narrative leads to the need to create narratives, etc. So it is important to separate facts from narrative. It just is. That said, there are some things Justin struggles with. The first one I'm going to bring up, and I think anyone who watches him is always kind of puzzled by this because, you know, we talked about how Justin Fields coming out of college had the most ridiculous accuracy metrics we have ever seen. He's easily, at least yep. for what we have statistics for, the most accurate college quarterback of all time. And yet, his completion percentage has been fairly low in the NFL. And some of that has been due to how aggressive he is throwing downfield versus taking the easy completions. But some of it, as we've seen, is sometimes he just misses the easy passes, even though he makes the difficult ones look routine. Um, and that's backed up by the statistics. So he, in, in quick, what we would consider quick game throws, which are passes that travel less than 10 air yards... So just those three-step drops, those drop back, rip the ball. He was 33 out of 35 qualified starters in terms of adjusted completion percentage. That ain't great. It's not good. You don't ever want to be 33rd. Um, that's bad. The accuracy is bad. 
Um, the thing that this made me look at, though, and, and I wanted to see, is was he merely bad? Was he historically bad? Um, so I looked at a lot of first-year quarterbacks going back, and what I have found is uh, there are other first- and second-year quarterbacks, I should say, and what I found is that sh- short passing actually appears to be the the least consistent of the the like three tiers of passing short passing intermediate passing deep passing short passing actually tends to wax and wane the most so what happened is i was looking at all of these quarterbacks and i found out of 12 guys who have got so i looked back the last uh, couple you know quarterbacks who have managed to get three years in the league so i think there was like yeah there were 21 guys i was like 20 guys or so that i was looking at I had three years of data. Um, and other than some guys like Joe Burrow, who, going back to college, I have to tell you, Joe Burrow is qu- quite possibly the greatest short passer of all time. That man is incredible at quick game. But, like, out of these 19 quarterbacks, it was actually 19 quarterbacks, out of these 19 quarterbacks, only about half of them got better at short passing from year one to year two in terms of both intermediate and deep passing there was improvement among the great majority but in terms of short passing only about half of them get better from year one to year two half of them got worse in year three some of the ones that got better in year two got worse in year three some of the ones that got worse in year two got better in year three so what what short passing i think so so what i found is this isn't historically stable and what i think that is saying is while yes in justin's case there is an anticipation issue sometimes on these these short throws they are grip it rip it drop back just trust the play trust the receiver throw it and sometimes he fires a little he fires a little off his mechanics get a little loop get a little loopy um what i've also found is i believe that this is a stat that tends to vary wildly with supporting cast i think wide receiver talent matters immensely in terms of short passing because we Jalen Hurts, for example, who's obviously going to come up with Justin Fields comparisons, he went from 61% as a short passer in year one to 74% as a short passer in year two. And then they add A.J. Brown to go along with Devonta Smith. And in year three, he was an 80% almost short passer. So on the one hand, yes, Justin is bad at quick game uh, at the moment. On the other hand, he already did make a big leap from year one to year two. I believe in year one, as a rookie, he was around 64%. Um, in year two, he was around 73%. Very similar jump to what Hurts did in year from year one to year two. You would think with DJ Moore, with better wide receivers, better trust in the system, we would see a similar jump in terms of Justin. So if he could add about 4 or 5% there, that would still leave him as like a, a middle of the pack short passer he would be more average than good but that's probably all he really needs because um, one thing with Justin also is that he is his own quick game part of the reason this man hesitated to pull the trigger and throw it to Dante Pettis is that on a lot of plays if he just needed seven yards the better play was to just tuck it and run it himself he averaged seven over he averaged over seven yards per scramble so why wouldn't he just or he averaged over seven yards per carry he averaged like nine yards ten yards per scramble so why wouldn't he just dial his own number sometimes you know yeah, um, so we kind of talked about this over draft season with Anthony Richardson. Uh, yeah. He's going to go through similar growing pains here. He's a guy whose short game 
Um, just like I, for him specifically, his numbers are absolutely through the floor. Like you know, just devastatingly bad at short, but he's still a pretty decent intermediate and deep thrower. Um, and you're going to see a pattern like you keep mentioning. You know, Jalen Hurts, another guy I liked coming out of college. Um, Josh Allen, a guy who I didn't like but who I love in the NFL. Um, I, I usually don't like the comparisons to Josh Allen because he had such a meteoric rise. Uh, from just being absolute trash to being, you know, probably the second best quarterback in the NFL. But Justin is in the same vein as a Josh Allen, as a right. Jalen Hurts, as an Anthony Richardson. They're they're very similar players with very similar uh, strengths and weaknesses. I I, I'm really yeah. So Josh Allen is forever going to be like it, it, it. People immediately dismiss Josh Allen comparisons out of hand for the most part, and most of them are ridiculous um you know when people would say daniel jo- when people would point out that daniel jones hadn't been very good through his first two three years people would bring up josh allen and that is a ridiculous comparison because they are not physically gifted in the same way daniel jones does not have josh allen's talent it daniel jones does and now i will tell you this daniel jones has had a very bad supporting cast one thing that digging into my supporting cast research did show me i have maybe i always knew it was bad i have maybe underestimated how much shit daniel jones has dealt with himself so little little apology to mr dimes there um he has had a bad supporting cast but daniel jones for instance i mean he was this is a guy who throws short a little too much he is not aggressive enough he is scared to throw intermediate he's scared to throw deep routes when we compare Justin to Josh Allen and to Jalen Hurts, it's literally not the basic comparison of, yeah, I'm just grasping to find a quarterback who was bad for two years and then became really good. I'm saying Justin, we're saying Justin Fields compares to Josh Allen because if you look, their profile in terms of the breakdown, um, so like here's an example. Uh, through the first two seasons of his career, Justin has thrown a deep ball, which is defined as 20-plus yards or more in the air, on 17.3% of his deep passes, or on 17.3% of his total pass attempts. So 17, 17.3% of the time he throws the football at all, he's throwing it deep. That's a, that is a lot. Um, for instance, Mitch Trubisky, through his first two seasons, he only threw it deep about 13% of the time. Um, but Josh Allen was another dude who threw it deep he threw it deep his first couple years uh over six as a rookie it was 20 almost 22 percent of the time year two it was 16 percent of the time so on average about 18 percent of the time he was throwing deep that's all that is a lot you do actually want to see that figure go down a little bit over time because with these guys it is not necessarily a matter of they cannot make the short throw um pretty much anyone can make the short throw they have to learn to accept the short throw they have to learn to accept, like, truly, it is a cliche for a reason. They have to learn that sometimes the best thing you can do is take what the defense gives you. Um, and same with, you know, Allen was a guy who, uh, on passes under 10 yards, so in year one, he was 69%. In year two, he was, you know, he jumped up to 79%. So he had a similar jump, just like Hertz did on all of these short passes. So... Um, there there are similarities to profile. There are similarities in terms of aggression. There are similarities in terms of big-time throw rate, which is something pro football focus tracks. It's, it's how often these guys make a really great throw. Usually guys who make a lot of those really great throws, over time, it the balance evens out. They find the equilibrium. 
they learn when to take the shots when they are there and when to take when to check down when they are not. So it, we are comparing Josh Allen. I don't know if he will ever reach the heights that Josh Allen has reached, but when I compare Justin Fields to Josh Allen, I am saying it's they have been in they, through the first two years. They have had similarly poor situations. They have similar physical talent. I don't think Justin Fields has a Josh Allen arm because I. I think only three or four men that have ever lived have a Josh Allen arm, but Justin Fields has a great arm, far stronger than Daniel Jones, if you were just trying to make comparisons to guys, to Josh Allen. He, and he, he has obviously the mobility of Josh Allen. He's a bit of a, he's more of a speed runner than Josh Allen, who is a Mack truck just trying to destroy defenders. Um, but they're both, they're both very mobile. They both threaten defenses with their legs. It's a huge part of the thing. And then they are, they are similar passers in terms of profile and approach. And we have seen with Allen, we have seen with Hertz, um, how that profile and how those guys tend to evolve as passers over time. And we have found that year three is when they really start to find that balance. So that's why we are optimistic that Justin will do the same. It's, it's not as reductive as Josh Allen bad two year, good year three. Justin can do that. It is it is entirely like there are hard statistical comparisons that make a lot of sense when you break out the profile of these guys. Uh Yeah. Yeah, um so I guess to lead into the next part, um you you mentioned that it's sort of a mindset thing uh accepting these short throws and one of the things um you know really the thing that I found like truly irritating with Justin last year is he would have guys who were open at the beginning of plays and he would not fire the ball to them. And he'd be like, nah, you know, and I think part of that is the mindset. It's saying, well, that guy's going to get tackled for a seven yard gain and I can get that with my legs later in this play, but maybe someone will be open 20 yards downfield. However, the other part of this is when I evaluated Justin Fields as a prospect coming out of college, one of my big notes was this guy has a great football brain. His ability to anticipate throws and throw guys open to know where everybody is on the field is absolutely at that next level. He is a, a top-tier quarterback prospect coming out of college. We haven't seen that the first two years. I, w- I would say it's safe to say that um, even as he was succeeding last year, it was not because he was being anticipatory. Uh, and I see you've got some notes on that, and I, I definitely yeah. want to hear your take on it because that's been my biggest disappointment so far is I haven't seen that Justin Fields yet. Yeah, so the processing, so yeah, I think the thing about Justin Fields is what that really stands out when you watch the All-22. Um, to me, processing really is, it's it's it's, it means how quickly is he reading the defense and how quickly does he determine where he should throw the ball. Um, and I think Justin actually is a good processor in terms of that. If you watch the tape, his eyes are almost always in the right spot. He knows where which guy he's supposed to throw the ball to, but there is a hesitation there. Um, and so the question is, I, I think you're right, some of it is definitely the question of he's like can I get more than that just by scrambling I know he's the guy that I probably should throw right now but I'm really hoping that deep post is going to come open uh oops I've been sacked so there is that but also um this is where the supporting cast thing is going to pop up again what I found interesting um is I actually and I personally I think Justin does anticipate pull the trigger well when it's Darnell Mooney he's throwing to I've seen him fire into some really tight windows to Darnell we have seen him throw into some really tight windows to Cole Komet. Um, it seemed more Dante Pettis that he was hesitating to throw to. It seemed more Equinemius St. Brown. 
that he was hesitating to throw to. Which is not to say that he should hesitate to throw to them, although, I mean, I, I think the one we all remember is the first interception he threw against the Packers at Soldier Field um, was entirely equanimous St. Brown. I mean, Justin did throw with anticipation. He did throw it on time on a hitch route, and equanimous St. Brown just let Jair Alexander beat him to the ball. Absolutely. Um, but I mean, so what you, I, hate to, you hate to... We talked about it earlier with the offensive line. Like, he's had two years in this now. At what point... Does something like that just form a, a bad habit? Yeah, the bad that's definitely something you worry about. No, but I was going to say is I went and I looked at some statistics for when he is throwing to Mooney and Komet versus when he is throwing to other guys. Now, I don't have them adjusted by depth, and we were talking kind of specifically about short passing, but what I found is, and this was, um, what I found is against zone coverage, and this is why I don't think he has a processing issue. Against zone coverage this year, Justin was very good. He process and and I think that's where processing really matters because zone coverage is entirely about knowing where you are supposed to throw the ball, not who you should throw the ball to, where you should throw it. Reading the defense, knowing where the hole is going to be, and getting it there. Justin was very good against zone defense, and there was not really a noticeable split in whom he was throwing to when it came to zone defense because we know he can throw with accuracy and deliver on time when he makes the right read when it's zone. And against zone, wide receiver talent tends to matter less because it's just more about where the hole is going to be and is the route run correctly. What I found was the real problem pops up, and this is something that um, Jonathan Wood is a guy who uh, is a great Bears statistician guy. He writes for DeBear's blog. He does a series every year called Fields in Focus. People should check that out. Um, it really covers a lot of the same stuff we're covering in really good detail. But he, he was the first one to mention this too, but if you look at um, Fields' splits when throwing to Mooney and Komet versus man coverage versus everyone else. It is, it's so noticeable, and it really tells you the problem is probably, to a great extent, just talent around Justin. So when Justin targeted either Darnell Mooney or Cole Komet against man coverage last year, he was 21 of 31 for 274 yards, which is a 67.7% completion rate, he averaged 8.8 .8 passing yards per attempt, which is fantastic. He had six touchdowns, only one interception. He had a 121.5 passer rating, throwing to those two guys. That's awesome. We love that. When throwing to everyone else on the roster against man coverage, he was 22 of 47 for 215 yards. That's a 46.8% completion percentage, just 4.7 yards per attempt, just three touchdowns, just two interceptions, and a 63.7 passer rating. I probably don't need to tell you all. Those are fucking abysmal numbers. Um, and I think you could accuse me of cherry-picking here. Like, yeah, sure, fine. He's got better numbers throwing to better guys. But I think it's important to note that I am not talking about a man splits throwing to Randy Moss versus someone else. I am talking about a man splits throwing to Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet. And I love Darnell. I think in an ideal world, that man is a pretty good wide receiver two who was horribly miscast last year as wide receiver one and Cole Komet I think is the most average tight end to ever live so we are not talking about his splits between throwing to hall of famers and his splits between throwing to regular players we are talking about his splits between throwing to regular players guys who just belong on an NFL roster and guys who don't practice squad players um this difference is so stark it's so dramatic 
you just you have to believe it's it, the hesitation in Justin. Part of it, yes, is about he wants the deeper pass to open up. Part of it is, yes, he can take off and run. Part of it is just he doesn't trust Equinemius St. Brown to get open because Equinemius St. Brown doesn't get fucking open. He just doesn't. <laughs> like, that's all it is to it sometimes, I think. Yeah, and I mean, he and he showed that on a couple throws last year. Obviously, the big one yeah. is Equinemius just the slowest possible turn in history and then not coming back to the ball, which is something Justin dealt with the year before with Allen Robinson, too. Like, what, do guys just not come back to the ball in the NFL? Is this just something I'm going to have to live with in the future? But, yeah, I just to reinforce this point, and as a tease for future episodes, just got to bring it up again, the difference between a mediocre player and a good player is the same as the difference between a, a very replacement bad player, player and a, a mediocre player. Absolutely, yep. Uh, as Nate Tice always likes to say, they got to grow from shit to not shit. So, um, and, and so one last thing I wanted to add on that is, you know who is a wide receiver, Travis, that has historically just murdered man coverage? Uh, I hope what you're going to say is DJ Moore. Uh, that, it is DJ Moore, yes. DJ Moore has historically, uh, with not very good quarterbacks in Carolina, DJ Moore has historically been very good at man coverage. He has consistently been one of the best NFL wide receivers at beating man coverage so it with justin hopefully having darnell moody back with him having commit with him having robert tanyan with him having claypool with him having and especially dj moore he has some guys who can win a matchup or two finally for him he has multiple guys uh if moore's not open you would hope mooney is um he really has he, he has a fighting chance here dj moore should make a huge impact there uh, and then the last, we talked about the process and we talked about the short game weakness. The last main weakness I think that comes up with Justin Fields um, is obviously the sacks. Like the sack rate is is, is very bad. Um, and we've gone over the, how bad the pass pro is. Uh, it, but the, I mean, that is, that's a lot of sacks. It's, it is. And, and, and I think Justin Fields is always going to be a guy that takes more sacks than you would like in an ideal world. And that's okay. That should be okay because the trade-off is that I think he's a guy who's going to hit more big plays than a quarterback normally would too. Um, but the ratio, as it is right now, obviously needs to improve. No one would deny that. He needs to get the ball out quicker. I think we've gone over some reasons already why we think he can do that. Um, but yeah, I I would be lying if I said like no, the man, the man, the sack. None of the sacks are his fault. But I will say. Pro Football Focus does a wonderful job where they track what they consider to be QB allowed pressure. How many, what percentage of times was a quarterback's pressure, the the quarterback's fault? Did he hold the ball too long? Did he run towards a pass rusher? Did he cause his own problems? Justin was at 23% in that category last year. That is high. It, it absolutely is high. It needs to come down. At worst, you would like to see a guy only be in like 15, 16, 17% in that category. Um, it's very normal for... But it, but the other thing I want to say is it is high. It was not the worst in the NFL. Jalen Hurts was at 27%. Um, you just don't hear about Jalen Hurts taking too many sacks because the Eagles have the best offensive line in football, Jalen Hurts led the NFL in this in this stat last year, too, in 2021. And you don't hear about it because the Eagles had the best offensive line in football. The Eagles actively countered Jalen's biggest weakness and enabled his greatest strength, which, again, he throws a pretty deep ball, too. Um, they built a dominant offensive line that lets him get away with it because the trade-off for them 
is a lot of big plays. And that's what the Bears need to do around Justin. Um, but yes, he's obviously got to learn to get rid of the ball faster. We have gone over some reasons why we think he will. Uh, I think in an ideal world, you know, Russell Wilson for most of his career is probably what you're looking at is like the best case scenario. You hope he's only getting sacked about 10% of the time, which is still high, but 10% is not 15%, which is just an unsustainable David Carr level of sackage. Yeah, and all these things, they, they kind of all talk, uh, right? They are all they all kind of go together. If Justin accepts more of these quick, mm-hmm. open pass games, which mm-hmm. you think he would with Darnell Mooney coming in to the slot, uh, coming over the middle instead of it being, as you said, Dante Pettis or Bayless Jones who have hands of lead and just drop every pass he yeah. throws, right? Um, you would think with more of those, he's going to have less opportunities to get sacked. You would think that our offensive line is going to be better this year than it was last year. We sure do with how much we love Darnell Wright. Um, you would hope that he's also the kind of quarterback who can take what he's learned the first two years and say, you know what? If I do hold this ball for this long, I am going to die. You would hope <coughs> you also learn that lesson a bit. Um, but we'll see. Like you said, he has enough talent now to where I feel like this year really is going to be a fair evaluation for him, and I'm not going to give him the same uh, the same amount of rope that I gave right. him last year. Yeah, I mean, I think we... So, I have done a lot of QB research, obviously, and, and, and you have kind of misinterpreted this one's key point that I always make, but you should know... Unless the the circumstances are incredibly extenuating, it would have to the twenty twenty two Bears supporting cast would have to be, or the twenty twenty three Bears supporting cast would have to be as bad as the twenty twenty two, I think before I gave him a shot, uh, or before I gave him a pass for being bad this year. But you should know by the end of the quarterback's third year whether or not you have a guy. You you will not necessarily know if you have a superstar. Um, we have seen guys break out later in their careers in year four, year five, et cetera, have their best years after that. Like I said, Tom Brady didn't have a 4,000-yard passing season until year five. He didn't break seven yards per attempt until year four. But at the same time, Tom Brady was already a league average starter by year. And that's kind of the benchmark. You want to, you're, you need a guy to be a better than league average starter no later than year three. If he's not there by year three, it's probably never going to happen. Alex Smith is about the only guy it's ever been. People mention Ryan Tannehill, but it's not even Ryan Tannehill. He was an average starter in Miami. He really was. He had, I mean, his second or third year, he also had 4,500 yards. He he was an above average starter. He just wasn't a great one until he paired up in Tennessee with a, a system that was a better fit. Um, so yeah, by year three, you should know if you have a guy or not. So it, it's going to be very hard for me, as much as I love Justin, if he is not better than average in most passing metrics this year, for me to excuse that another time. It, it will be. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So and then I think, you know, we've talked about his weaknesses. I, I wanted to talk about his strengths. Um, you know, I think the main thing that really pops out with Justin Fields, and I think you all figured it out, besides obviously running the ball, we're pretty much talking exclusively about him as a thrower. Because I think it should, God, no one should have any doubts about what the man can do on the ground anymore. But his strengths, uh, he is a phenomenal, he's, he's a very good deep passer already. He's a very good intermediate thrower already. And what I found is, unlike the short passing, um, 
those tend to be a bit more stable. Those tend to be harbingers of future success. Guys who, by year two, are better than average intermediate throwers. And intermediate throws, I, I think, where that's where... You know, it's funny. You get a guy that like Mac Jones, who enters the league, or Kenny Pickett. I've had Steelers fans yell at me because I'm kind of a frequent critic of Kenny Pickett. Um, you have guys who enter the league and they have a reputation for not having a very strong arm. Uh, and then they throw like a 40-yard bomb, like a lob. And people will be like, but I thought he didn't have a strong arm. But to me, arm strength doesn't really... Nick Foles can lob a very pretty deep ball. I saw Shane Matthews lob a pretty deep ball. Deep balls are more about touch I, than arms. Shane Matthews, most beautiful 30-yard <laughs> deep ball I've ever seen yeah, thrown in they're, my entire they're, life. Yeah, the, deep balls are more about touch, timing, placement. Now, granted, deep balls thrown on the run, off-platform... Those are where arm talent most shows up. But but I really think in terms of NFL throws, where arm talent, arm strength, where timing, where, where reading defense and stuff, where it really tends to show up, is in that intermediate range between 10 and, and 19 yards. Because one, that is the area that defenses tend to give you areas to fit the ball in. They, they try to concede those because they know those are the hardest passes to make because the windows are so much smaller. Um, and those are just the places where the ball tends to need to be thrown more on a line with zip with timing because otherwise it's easy to get under it to intercept it etc so intermediate success by year two very important for instance a a red flag which probably should have been a red flag with mitch trubisky for example was that through his first two career for his through his first two seasons on intermediate passes uh mitch so as a rookie mitch only completed 56 percent of his intermediate passes which actually isn't that bad for rookie it's also not that great either but in year two when a lot of guys take a step forward mitch actually declined to 53.8 percent and then in year three he declined again to 49.1 percent he really struggled with those intermediate throws he also threw a lot of interceptions on those intermediate throws he was late he did not throw the ball with enough zip with enough timing with enough placement fields this, as a rookie, was at 57%, which is good for a rookie. This year, in year two, he was at 66.7%, which was one of the highest completion percentage on intermediate throws in the league. Um, when I looked back at quarterbacks on this list who had completed a high amount of their intermediate passes in year two, so the highest, the best completion percentage by an intermediate passer in year two out of some the guys that I looked at, Joe Burrow, was at 71.9%. In year two, uh, Jalen Hurts was at 58.8%. Um, Kyler Murray, 58.2%. Um, Josh Allen, 60.6%. Deshaun Watson, 65.1%. Uh, I mean, these are these are mostly very successful quarterbacks. The guys who, intermediate throwing, it, it, it tends to be a barometer of future success. Intermediate accuracy tends to be a barometer of future success. So that's a very good sign that he can hit those passes, that he can hit them accurately. We need to see him have more pass protection and a chance to throw to more guys in that area. But it is something to build on, absolutely. He is a very good vertical passer. So overall, on all throws, intermediate and deep, um, for example, in all throws over 10 yards, um, Justin, through his first two seasons, uh, has completed... 51.6% of his passes over 10 yards. He's averaged 10.7 
yards per attempt. Jalen Hurts, through his first two years um, on intermediate passes, he completed uh, 51.9%, so almost the exact same completion percentage. He averaged 10.6 yards per attempt, so almost the same success rate in terms of yards per attempt when they did it. Uh, Josh Allen, those first two years, was actually a bit worse on throws um, over 10 yards. He completed 46.9% for 9.5 yards per attempt. So Fields, uh, Allen's numbers are kind of buried. He was very bad as a rookie. He got pretty good at intermediate passing um, in year two, although he was pretty bad still at deep passing in year two. But uh, yeah, so I mean, Justin has shown a lot of success in that area. I think that's an area where you should expect future success. Um, Very few guys who played that well at that, were that good at that in year two, got worse in year three. Most of them improved or stayed fairly steady. It it seems to be the most stable area of accuracy. So that's exciting. Uh, Another strength of his, I do think he can run a little bit. I think that's something that, that they can maybe factor into their game plan. I, yeah, I know. I think uh, important to note that he does seem to be able to, uh, you know, affect the defense with his legs somewhat. Uh, so he's yeah, got it that comes extra up. element in this game. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we talked about this again with Anthony Richardson. Um, it's the ability to generate offense with your legs does still count. Uh, like, we don't have to discount his ability to score points with his legs just because it's not something that you see go into the passing stat column, uh, he's still going to make the offense better right. uh, doing that. And our run game has only gotten better in the offseason with the running backs we've added to the room. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, how many points does he add with his legs there? Absolutely. If we can keep him stable here, like, I, it drives me nuts. It drives me nuts to hear people saying, ah, Whatever, he ran 50 yards for a touchdown. Who cares? Like, what do you mean, who cares? Like, the whole point of this game is to score points. Yeah. Like, I don't... I It drives me nuts. I, I don't know how to put it into words, almost, how annoyed that makes me. Yeah, and then I would say, I mean, I think the the last thing, and this is the least statistical thing we will say tonight, I, I do believe this man has that dog in him. He really does. Um, it, it's insane, but people always talk about quarterbacks who have it and quarterbacks who don't. One thing that I, so last year, Adam Hogue, um, and Johns, they, they did a podcast where they, they talked to, um, the people who covered the, the Buffalo Bills for the athletic. And they talked to the people who covered the Cincinnati Bengals for the athletic. Uh, and, and they asked him, you know, entering year two, for these guys like Josh Allen, for these guys like Joe Burrow, what did, what could you tell about them even in year two, even as they were sometimes struggling a little bit, that that you that gave you hope? And then when they were talking about Josh Allen, they said every player in that locker room uh, believed in Josh Allen fully. Every one of them believed that if they gave him enough time, they gave him enough help, he'd figure it out and he would be great. Um, and Hogan John said that the, the vibe in the Bears locker room is is very much the same. And they admitted, like, everyone loved Mitch Trubisky. They thought he was a good guy. But if you ask people about him off the record, players had their doubts. Players weren't necessarily impressed by what they saw every day. They said it's a marked difference in the number of guys who are like, Justin's good. We believe in Justin. Justin can carry us. We have to be good enough to let him do the things that he can do. Um, and I think... You know, we've talked about a little. 
it is one thing for opposing players to be respectful and to hype up a guy before a matchup so that they don't get accused of smack-talking or bulletin board material. Um, but opposing players, after playing Justin Fields, remarked consistently on how incredible he was and how he was bigger than you expected, faster than you expected, how his deep ball was fantastic, and how the man just needs some help. Yeah, yeah, I think... Um... Uh, so what I like to do when I feel like I'm getting a bit too buried in either the local scene or just in what I'm looking at is look at what is the national media saying about a guy and what are other teams saying about a guy and what you usually get for a Bears quarterback. And we'll just use Mitch as an example because it's the most recent is almost a kind of like laughy, jokey kind of thing, right? With Mitch, it was like, yeah, we're not we're not scared of Mitch. Like, no, it's, yeah. you know, we, you know, we have to stop the run game. Like, I guess he has a threat with his legs or something, but it's just kind of like a, a ha ha. Uh, I mean, yeah, the, Mitch Trubisky, that's what the, we're the, the two well, most damn, sorry, the two most damning things that have ever been said about a Bears quarterback were both said by Packers defensive backs. And it was when Rod or when Charles Woodson said, we knew we just had to be where we were supposed to be. And Jay would throw us the ball. Yeah. And when, Adrian Amos said, we knew if we made Mitch Trubisky play quarterback, we were going to win the game. Yeah. So yeah. so you look at you look at that, and you look at guys basically being like, yeah, their weakness is their quarterback. Like, I don't give a shit about him. To the reaction to guys after they've played Justin Fields, the Steelers defense saying, oh my God, if that guy uh, has another couple years under his belt, we won't be able to stop him. You look at last year after the Vikings game, a game that Amir Smith-Marset, former Hawkeye, uh, fumbled and held away. Mm-hmm. Um, that entire Vikings defense, you look at all of the quotes that they read, it all read like they had just lost, like they had just been beat. They had no idea how to explain what Justin had just done. They felt like they had just been hit by a freight train. The the Washington, the Bears put up seven points on Washington last year, and that Washington defense was befuddled by him. I mean, you remember what happened at the goal line in that game. Yeah. But they 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 were acting like you know we just got we just got destroyed by this quarterback. That I have never seen that reaction for a Bears quarterback. You look at the national media, you avoid the local media, and what you see is a bunch of guys who are like, Justin Fields is it. Just just wait. Don't Which, worry. I mean, this is this guy is the next guy, and that gives me hope. Yeah, and to be fair, you do see a lot of national guys who are also very dismissive of him, but I I do think those tend to be more people who are not... They are not film watchers. They are not people who are able to... They're not people who even really watch Justin Fields, is what I would say. I think they are people who mostly... They're box score scouts. They're looking at results only and judging him based on that is what I feel like. They're guys who have to put an hour out there every morning, right? Yeah. So the last thing... What are you going to do? Right, yeah. So the last thing I want to say tonight, as we move on, I I do think when you talk about what we think a a successful season for Justin Fields in year three reasonably looks like, and I'm going to say reasonable because I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of articles about can Justin Fields take an Allen Hurts leap in year three? And I think that is understandable. We compared him to Allen and Hurts. I think he can take that size of leap, but I also think pe- people need to understand that that is still going to look different, in my opinion, when you consider the state of those the teams around those two guys still. Jalen Hurts was on a team that was already fantastic his second year. He had a great offensive line. He already had a good wide receiver in Devonta Smith. He had a good tight end in, in Dallas Goddard. 
Um, Josh Allen was on a roster that made the playoffs his second year. The offensive line was in place. They had some good tertiary weapons. They just didn't have that number one wide receiver in Stephon Diggs. Um, this Bears roster is still a few pieces away, I think we all agree, from being like a Super Bowl contender. Um, so I think you have to look at it relative to where he starts. I think if you turn in terms of percentage, Justin Fields should improve by about as much from year two to year three as those guys did. But he's starting even farther behind in terms of in some categories, in terms of like total yardage and things like that. So to me, Justin Fields on what I think is going to be a fairly with a fairly average to slightly above average supporting cast, I think a successful season. So what I, a couple guys I've compared him to. Um, Lamar Jackson, if you look at his three seasons since the MVP, everything clicks perfectly for him that MVP season. Just the three, th- the three seasons since the MVP, if you put those all together, and if you average those out to one season, what he, he normally does. An average Lamar Jackson season has looked like this over the last three years. A completion percentage of about 64%, about 202 passing yards per game, about 26 passing touchdowns, 13 passing interceptions, 7.5 yards per attempt, a quarterback rating in the mid-90s, and of course on top of that he has averaged just a a shit ton of yards rushing. What has he averaged over those three seasons? He's averaged uh, 845 yards rushing and four touchdowns. So I think in Justin Fields' case, I really do think, yes, if he can hopefully get to about 200 yards passing per game, if he can get that completion percentage from 61% where it was to about 64, 65, um, everything else is going to flow from that. I don't want to put too much emphasis on raw passing yardage. I know some people really want that 4,000-yard passing season. I do too. I think that would be silly given the strengths of their offense and how much they, success they still can have running the football to go all out aiming for that. I think if Justin Fields can get to 200 yards passing per game, which if you think about it is really only about five more completed passes per game than what he had last year. And if you think asking five more completed passes given the improvement, the hopeful improvement in pass protection and giving the improvement and going from Darnell Mooney as your one to DJ Moore as your one from... Equinemia St. Brown is your two, to Darnell Mooney is your two, from Dante Pettis is your three, to Chase Claypool is your three, to Robert Tanyan is your tight end two. I think when you look at those comparisons, I absolutely think somewhere in there, there are five more completions for about 50 more yards per game. And then on top of that, he's still going to give you 50, 60 yards rushing. So I I think what I'm hoping for is about 4,000 total yards. If you take the passing and you add the rushing and that number adds up to over 4,000, we are golden. You obviously want to see him have, you know, at least twice as many touchdown passes as interceptions. Um, I think those are realistic realistic goals that would show the exact kind of progress that I am looking for. I do wonder if the MVP caliber season that I still think he can have is probably going to be 2024 versus 2023. Yeah, I... So we, we've kind of talked about this for several weeks now. Um just anecdotally, I have a, a, a co-worker who just jumped all over a futures bet, man, uh, when he saw these good odds on a bet for Justin Fields to have uh, over 5,000 total yards this year. And I was like, dude, like that's insane. Um, but there is a world uh, in which that could happen. Now, the question, I guess, then is how low? 
uh, are you good with that total yards number going? You mentioned the number 4,000, um, and we had talked about this number, 4,000 total yards for Justin, and to me, it strongly depended on what that split was between passing and rushing. Because yeah, I one, of the things, one of the things that you see from Justin Fields in college is he doesn't want to run the ball. He's very good at it, but he does not want to do it. He likes to throw the ball. He likes to play quarterback passing it. So last season, when you see him putting up the kinds of running numbers he did, uh, he, he was very apathetic towards that. That is not how he wants to play the game. If he does get 4,000 total yards and we see a split like 2,800 passing, 1,200 rushing, to me, seeing him get there that way, that's still an indictment of this offense. And we would still have to be like, how did we get to this point? Is this Getz's fault? Is this just Justin? Is he just going to you know run too much? Is this holding the offense back? That still concerns me. Now, if he gets to 4,000 yards, and I know this is this is silly because I was just saying earlier, rushing yards count just the same as passing yards, right? But if that split is 3,200 passing and 800 rushing, that feels a lot better. That feels a lot the more 2,550 fields. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think ideally to me, it would even, if I had got to pick, I would take, I would think I would take 35-5 over anything, you know. Absolutely. 3,500 passing, 500 rushing over over the rest. But yeah, anything around that, you know, it, it, the passing number over 3,000, the rushing number 1,000 or less probably feels like the right balance. Yeah, I think over the course of a full 17-game season, and I think I'm being a little more, a little more strict with this because I, I still, I just, I see Justin Fields as a sure thing at this point, and I see it as the Bears failing him if he if he goes below these numbers. But I, I have a hard time imagining him going below 3,500 passing yards this year. I think somewhere around 3,500 is where he's going to end up. How many rushing yards he gets, I don't know. But if he ends up below that 3,500 number, I'm probably going to have had questions throughout the season about the offense, and we're going to talk about this later, so I'm not going to belabor the point now, but there were a lot of red flags uh, from Getze last year that we kind of tabled because of the surrounding talent, because his offensive line was terrible, and if those show their ugly head again this year, I feel like that's more likely to cause Justin to be below that 3,500 number than it would be Justin keeping himself below that 3,500 number. So that's kind of where I put it. I think a successful yeah. season for Justin, 3,500 passing, and then hopefully below 1,000 rushing. I want to see the guy lay off a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, yeah, I think that's fair. And and is that's probably a top 10 quarterback overall. It's definitely top 15. But yes, I do think the MVP talk is a little premature just because I, I, we're all excited about the supporting cast. We're, we are excited, though, because they are going from a horribly replacement-level supporting cast to one that I feel is, like, maybe the 14th or 15th best supporting cast in the NFL. We have to keep that in perspective. Jalen Hurts, for example, was working with maybe, in my opinion, the top one-of-one one, uh, supporting yes. cast last year. So you've got to keep that in mind. Um, but yes, I, I think progress in every measurable category is the goal. I think he's capable of it. I'm really excited to see him do it. Um, but yeah, I think we I think we've covered everything I wanted to cover. This actually didn't take as long as I thought. I actually don't feel like I ranted as much as I thought. Um, but yeah, I think we've presented kind of a nuanced, objective look at this guy, what he's been through, 
where we think he could reasonably go, why we're still optimistic. Um, did you have any final thoughts to add? Yeah, I mean, if you'd like this nuanced, uh, level-headed take, just wait for our season preview for the Bears when I lose my absolute fucking mind. Yeah, well, and I think we'll also revisit this a little bit because I do think um, at some point here soon, I don't know, maybe next week, we haven't really talked about what comes up next. We, we're going to start ranking our quarterbacks. We're starting to do our I think quarterback it's next tiers. Week. Is it? Yeah, all right. quarterback yeah. rankings next yeah. week. We will. I don't know if we'll get that all into one. We might start. Do we, do we maybe start at thirty-two next week and just try to cover the bottom ten and just keep going or what? But we will. Uh, hey, Attila. We, yeah, my cat just attacked me because he is a dick. Anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that too. We'll 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 place Justin in context. I do feel like some Bears fans might yell at us where I think we both kind of agree. He is now. It's not where either of us expects us to end, but we are trying to balance optimism and current production at the same time. Yes, so the rankings we do next week are going to be, um, they're going to be a lot about what guys have already done and what we can reasonably expect them to improve on this next season. It is not going to be um, like our set in stone predictions for this next season, exactly the order in which the quarterbacks are going to go, because that list would be a lot more wild. But yes, I, I do think we both agree kind of on where Justin sits right now as a quarterback in the NFL. Mind blown. Yeah, all right. Well, next week we'll rank some quarterbacks, and until then, uh, I guess I'll see you later. Now you know I'm leaving here.